Welcome to Half a Cinch. On this podcast, we talk about the albums of 1972 and them celebrating their 50th anniversary. Uh, some of the albums we know really well, some of them we don't. But, you know, that's what it's all about. I'm Mike Jeffers. Uh, with me, as always, is Say Your Name. JR, hi. Uh, and with us, uh, a fellow music nerd and a wife of a music nerd, Danielle Pavlock. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about Linda Ronstadt's self-titled album. Uh, a lot of things. A lot of things going on with this album, uh, not just musically, but historically. And we'll get to that. But first off... What do you think about this album? What, how do you like this album, Danielle? Um, I liked it just fine. Um, it was very short. That was great. I listened to it several times in a row uh, at work. Um, do you like Clinton yeah, Ronstadt in general? It was, yeah, I, honestly, like my, uh, I don't really have too much of an opinion of her. She's, uh, not really somebody I ever was into. Um, it seemed like when I was aware she existed, she was like old people's music at that point. Um, but, you know, I know that she's um, she's released music, uh, you know, under many different genres. And she's, you know, she's had an incredibly long career yeah a um a pioneer of like the the country rock sort of mashup at, at this album yeah. in, in general um really yeah and i mean i definitely respect that she was you know uh as a woman in rock and roll she was kind of a pioneer as well in the 70s yeah uh jr you like linda ronstadt yeah, I mean, I'm an 80s kid. I was born in 82. So, of course, American Tale, somewhere out there. I mean, it was, it, that was like a big, I knew Linda Ronstadt probably when I was like four or five years old, but it was a lot of uh, the whole crew that's Troubadour crew that she's a part of and has been, you know, a big part of my life as a kid, listening to all the bands around this and this record um so i was pretty excited to to do this one so yeah this is her third solo album uh, it was on capitol records it was uh not very successful which led her to leave capitol records and there's a whole story behind that she went to another label contractually she was obligated to release the album after this on capitol which that actually was very successful ironically <laughs> <laughs> but she had already left um Oh, some of it was recorded at Muscle Shoals and with the Muscle Shoals crew. Some of it was recorded in Hollywood at United Western. And three songs were recorded live at the Troubadour, like you said, in West Hollywood. And what I think was cool is that if there wasn't applause breaks at the end of those songs, you really couldn't even tell the difference between the live tracks and the studio tracks. Yeah, right? good point. Yeah, I I was only aware that like one of the songs was live. I didn't know there were multiple. Yeah, 
three of them, yeah, on, all of them on side B. But, oh, okay. Yeah, and this is this is regarded as you know one of the beginnings of of the country rock sort of genre. You know, mixing it up. Uh, uh, you know, uh, leading into this is this album. This is where she hired Glenn Fry uh, to put together a touring band, and of course, <laughs> this was the album that led to the formation of the Eagles. They, they all met on this album and she, she gave them her blessing, which I thought was cool. Like they, they asked, they were like, Hey, listen, you mind if we go out and do our own thing? And she was like, yes, you know, she got, she was, you know, they, they were knighted by queen Linda, (laughs) go, 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 go forth and conquer. They had their own bands at the time. And they were playing in this like really popular, essentially cover band at the Troubadour that was making them more money than Don Henley was making in Shiloh and Gwen Fry was making. And I can't remember his old band. It was like, it was like uh, (laughs) a hangnail penny whistle or some, it was a terrible name. That was close to that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they were really good actually. Uh, But their name was terrible. And then, you know, Randy Meisner (laughs) hung out with Gwen Fry and all those guys, but some would say because, her album without them, some would say it was an FU to Capitol. Some would say it was not the Eagles being on it. That's why it did well commercially, mm. you know? So who knows? She might, it might've been half a blessing, half a get, get the Eagles off your plate and you both can be successful. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, like I said, uh, you know, historically this, this album might not have been a commercial success, but it was successful in the fact that it, you know, it gave us another, you know, band like that everyone knows uh, just, just by being in the session. So that's cool. Uh, yeah. The, the track list right at the top uh, rock me on the water, which was like the second single off this album. So the history behind this is that this is a Jackson Brown song. Uh, well, first of all, Let's just say that uh, she didn't write any of these songs. I mean, she made them her own with her voice, but she didn't, she didn't write any of them. So the first one, Jackson Brown, this was going to be his big, it was his big single off of his debut album, which also came out in 1972. And, you know, honorable mention to this album. We may or may not get around to covering it, you know. Uh, let's so his version of the, the single, which came out after hers, his peaked at 48 on the billboards and hers only at 85. So sexist. Am I right? Come on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's his song. So <laughs> he should, he should, you know, really, right. He, sh- he should get like, yeah, it's only fair. Yeah, it's only it's fair. Only fair. <laughs> there's there there's like a house again i'll try not to get super nerdy my I, I grew up with all these like bands my parents really liked them so there's apparently like an apartment where like jackson brown and glenn fry and all of them like lived right above or below each other and they heard each other write songs and play songs and they were all like a crew so yeah. again they're they're 
he may have he probably wasn't pissed off at all that she released it before him but then again obviously the audience <laughs> that was a that's really a testament to i would say her still going for it and making it later because that's twice the commercial audience has been like nah she's not for us <laughs> and she's like come on we gotta keep going you know so good good for her for sticking to it it's you know the song's got some like uh religious tones to it even though you know, Jackson has, has said that it wasn't his intention for it to be a religious song. And I, I guess the sisters that are referenced in it are, you know, he, he based it on his own sisters. Uh, I mean, it, it, some people have said it's sort of like an apocalyptical song. Um, just, you know, maybe about like revelation or, you know, the rapture or whatever. But <laughs> Yeah. I, I thought it was a song that I could imagine like a quote unquote cool church, like doing a, a version of like on a Sunday. So yeah. The, yeah. The cool totally, church. Totally got. <laughs> yeah. Or they have like a rock band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Unitarianists <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Righteous gemstones. <laughs> oh no, they're not cool. <laughs> um. Uh, okay, the next song is "Crazy Arms." It's a it's like a traditional country song. Actually, I I'd never heard this song, but this is this is an old song, I guess. Um, so there's a little dispute that there's two guys that are credited with writing it, but people say that there's another guy named Paul Gilly who was a ghostwriter, saying mm. that he he actually wrote the song. But this dates back to like the 40s, 50s. And the song's written and it it became like a big hit for uh ray price if you know country music you should know ray price and you know it was it was a big hit for him it's been covered by several of the people and then linda described it up so this i mean this is it's another example of of how she, you know she's using the the rock genre to sort of you know give new life to these old like country staples it's interesting that the troubadour at 72 that was still cool and like relevant they're really trying to push that old like i feel like that's kind of where it is again like country is cool again and there's country artists that are cool and i could i could see that but it's it's surprising to me that they were you know that this old like crazy arm song you know would be something that the band would be playing in 72 you know um this is one of the big ones that they would play. It's like a musician song too. Like you said, it's got those the old folklore behind it and everything. So and, interesting. And the, I, I doubt half of these, sorry to interrupt you. I yeah. doubt half of these that anyone would get the licensing for now <laughs> on, especially all on the same album. So that's impressive as well. So in the line when she says like, uh, you know, open your, your crazy arms to me, what, what, <laughs> what comes to mind when you think crazy arms? You think like, <laughs> you think arms that are just wild, well, just wildly flailing, yeah. or do you think like yeah, the, a, the person is crazy? Thing. No, sorry, go ahead, I mean, Crazy, crazy arms would be like, yeah, you you lost control over your arms, but um, that that doesn't seem to go with this sort of sad, heartbreak kind of a song. <laughs> the image of someone just flailing their arms around. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny idea though like come over here and then the arms are they're like no thanks yeah <laughs> but is it come is, back to me is yeah. it dark is it darker to think that like the arms are part of a crazy person 
and that she's just like willing to accept a crazy person yeah um, like going back into your arms i guess is a good metaphor i don't want to go back to your crazy arms yeah yeah sure i like the crazy like wacky inflatable guy though being like yeah yeah uh, next song is I Won't Be Hanging Around. Uh, it's not a cover, actually, but it wasn't written by Eric. It was written by Gangland. Eric Kaz, who wrote all, you know, he's just he's just a songwriter for everybody. Uh, this the, the like words in this one are, they start off almost as if it's like someone at the end of their life. Because there's a line in, in there saying like, I'm too old to take care of myself mm. now. But then like later in the song, she says like, I won't be, I won't like live too long or I won't be around too long, but I hope I am. So yeah, I don't know. The whole, the whole song is just like, basically like, Oh, I'm alone. I'm alone, but don't, don't worry. I'm not going to bother you anymore. It's country, man. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What's next? Oh, I still miss someone. The Johnny Cash song. Uh, it's a good one. I like her version. It's real good. Uh, I, I did not know that Johnny Cash wrote it with his nephew. He gave his nephew a, uh, a writing credit on it. And you first, it first appeared on Folsom Prison, that record. Um, this is a, a great song to sing for a bunch of inmates. <laughs> it's, an, it's another heartbreak song. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's probably it's probably the the I don't know the most beautiful of all the heartbreak songs on this album for sure. Yeah, it's just really well written. Uh, the next song in my reply, it's a weird weird like storytelling uh, <laughs> song <laughs> where like it, like the the first story is a guy about to, he just got shot and he's about to die. And he was like, am I, am I ever going to see my hometown again? And then in the song, it's like, in my reply, I lied and said, I don't know. Like, who's replying? Like, is, <laughs> is, is, she, yeah. is she God in this story? Is this the, yeah, is this the same person who's just always, just happens to be there whenever all this, like, terrible shit goes down and, and gets asked some question? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, in the, in the next story, it's like a it's like a weak weakling who decides to get big by I don't know going into some sort of shady business, right? And then his kids don't want his kids don't want nothing to do with him anymore, and so he's like, "Fine, <laughs> get the fuck out of here." <laughs> and then I, I I forget what the what this this disembodied entity is like, you know, replying to. Again, but again, yeah, it's just, (laughs) and then the very last story, it just isn't even a story at all. It's just someone saying like, like, uh, you stole the show. And then the, the entity (laughs) is like, in my reply, like, I don't know. I I don't know. Did I, did I steal the show? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's kind of a weird song. It's, this one was written by uh, Livingston Taylor, who is, he's a folk singer. He's the brother of James Taylor. So. Yeah, bunch of songwriters. Like this bar is like hon- holding on to honky tonks, and they're a bunch of songwriters, and it's funny. It makes total sense, actually. Uh, and then the next one, I fall to pieces. 
by who who's this song by danielle do you know who's it by i know patsy klein's version yeah that, i mean that's the one that everyone knows yeah mm-hmm. um this was actually the first single uh for this album which is because this this opens side b of the album but that's the one that like you know they were the record label was selling out there was this you know, the, the, they basically like at this point like linda wasn't wasn't getting any success not even on this album so i guess i'm like just do like an old standard just do something that everyone knows we're gonna put that one out there we're gonna we're gonna see what happens with this one and you know i'm and guessing the first live one too oh, on this, the record. Yeah, that's right this is a live one yeah such a weird thing for a band to take like a live performance and yeah, I don't know. I guess I could see why I would be like a little pissed at Capital too. Like, what are you doing with my career? Like, can we go to a studio? And like, I love all these. I love all these guys, and I love all these songs. But can we go to a studio and like get some songs for me? Like, I I get it. It was probably a little annoying. But that's so. Like you said, Mike, the first time you listen to that, or you go back and listen until you hear the claps, it's, it sounds pretty good. So. It, it does. I mean, it's, they're, they're real tight and like her voice is, is real good. It's real sharp. Um, uh, the next one is rambling round. This is like an old traditional uh, folk song. Or it makes me think of like depression era, like mm. grapes, grapes of wrath or something. It's a guy walking around yeah. picking fruit for a dollar a day. People are, people are always rambling back then yeah they're always rambling around going from town to town like <laughs> i don't know i don't know anybody here um, bunch they- of ro- bunch of rolling stones no they- <laughs> uh that's this one's got like uh the lomax guy that like went back and found all the old 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 music right he like went around yeah. and found yeah. there there are like three credits to this uh song Lo- john allen lomax uh i i don't I don't know much about this guy. He's a guy that like, he's an archivist or something. He goes and finds all this stuff. And then uh, uh, Lead Belly is credited on the song. And uh, who else was it? Oh, Woody Guthrie. Uh, makes sense. It's credited. So I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how like songwriting credits get attributed to people, but three of them, you know, they, they're getting, I mean, none of them are getting Realty City Award unless Lomax is still alive. Well, and Lomax is just, was just because he found the story and got it published and got it official. Oh, you okay. know? He, yeah. he had nothing to do with writing it. He wasn't there. He just, Leadbelly used to play it. Woody Guthrie used to play it. And he probably got the real story, archived it, got it put into history. And then, so he became a part of it. But yeah. so that's what, that's one of the cool things he did. A little bit of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is supposed to be a little bit of the Lomax and like what they did. Uh, it's okay. not, of course, of course, it's about the Odyssey and it's about the prisoners, but there's a little bit of the Lomax influence in that movie of just seeing where songs came from. And, you know, because again, when everybody covered everybody's songs, somebody could be like, well, I was there and I wrote the song and I ghost wrote it with them and he never gave me money. People used to shoot each other over that stuff. <laughs> Sure. literally so yeah, pretty cool though old old song again i mean i i don't know but a whole bar full of songwriters probably a musician's musician song a songwriter songwriter song 
you know, a few of these feel pandering to that, that audience. Yeah. Um, It'd be interesting to know, like, you know, how, how she assembled like this group of songs, you know, like what, what made her want to do this? Like who made, you know, I, I'm going to guess that probably like Glenn helped like pick some of the songs as well. You know, but um, now anyway, the next one is not an old song. The next one is birds by Neil Young. And this song came out in 1971, just one year prior on, um, oh, what is the album that came out? Is it, uh, I forget Harvest. No, no, no. The one before that one. Anyway, this is, this is probably like my favorite song on this album. Uh, the, Mine too. The melody is beautiful. Um, I, I think like Neil's version is just a piano him at him on a piano so i like her musical arrangement a little better um yeah it's just this is a very lovely song agreed um yeah also live right this is one of the other live ones yeah another live one um after that uh i ain't ever been faithful this is i this is another one that's not a cover but it you know, it's written by Eric Anderson, who's another guy that just writes for everyone. Oh, he was, uh, that's right. He, he was like a, a Greenwich village guy back in the sixties. Mm. He was part of that whole group of folk guy. Yeah. He's writing songs for everybody, writing songs yeah. for himself, obviously putting a lot of stuff out there. Um, yeah, it's, a, this is a pretty good one. Uh, it's a little, the, I like the contradictory nature of it. I ain't never been faithful, but I've always been true. So <laughs> I really, I, I really feel like this is why this album wasn't successful. Like this is a real strange demographic. You're going to find that like folk singer songwriter and also country. Uh, I mean, sure. A lot of the Midwestern white demographics going to like that, but I mean, we're playing in LA at the Troubadour at the time. It, it's, it really seems like a specific niche artist group. So I could see again why artists love this record now and why it's hailed as a great record, but as a commercial record, there would have been people that liked a few of the songs and skipped a lot of the others, I would imagine. Um, yeah. People aren't going to like Eric Anderson that like, you know, um, some of the side A stuff. So. No, you're right. It is kind of all over the map. On uh, you know song. Speaking of with the last song, <laughs> but. yeah, and then the last song, "Rescue Me." Uh, it you know this is a, a song by Fontella Bass, Bass was it Bass Bass probably Bass. Uh, I actually learned that there's there's some controversy over the the songwriting credits because uh, officially these two two guys have the the credit for this song but a lot of sources close to her say that she should actually have the the writing credit for this because she probably wrote it but you know her being a woman in the 60s she's got to give the correct you know the writing credits to the guys for whatever reason boo <laughs> yeah boo <laughs> uh, this, this was the last live one on the album Mm-hmm. and again again very tight really really tight this I is mean, the one where where she it doesn't really sound like linda like she really she's really doing a good imitation of the original voice for this song 
I knew I knew all that care that old like cover band troubadour thing, obviously. And when you hear this song, it's like ah, it really makes sense. Like it sounds like a super good band you're gonna see at the troubadour playing covers, you know, like just really <laughs> nail and rescue me. You know what I mean? But again, doesn't scream Linda Ronstadt to me. Um, she later made the name for herself outside of that. So yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's the album. Um, I I think there's, you know, I'd I'd say like half of it is is really good. Um, another, the other half, like, is sort of just kind of background songs. Oh, but I mean, besides besides her, like, sh- her voice definitely like makes every song stand out. You know, that I'm, there's a there's a great fiddle player on it that does some cool stuff. Uh, there's a great pedal steel guy. That's of course. Cool oh, yeah, yeah. But given, given who the personnel is though, I, I didn't really think like the, the music itself didn't, didn't really stand out as anything, you know, special. They're just, obviously they're just there to like try to help her get some stuff done. But yeah. I mean, that we could talk about the personnel. Obviously you got, you got muscle shoals crew. Some of those guys, played on certain songs and then you got the west coast crew who are of course jr they are known as the the beagles (laughs) (laughs) your premier beatles eagles cover band no uh the eagles yeah well i mean the very first iteration i I doubt linda linda wants anything to do with all the other people and all the drama that came later, but yeah, yeah. you got, you got Glenn Fry, you got mm. Bernie Leiden. Oh yeah. That's another thing. A couple of these guys come from the flying burrito brothers mm-hmm. as well. Uh, you got Randy Miser, Miser, my favorite, my favorite Eagle. Um, but yeah. And then yeah. of course, Don Henley world's biggest jerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> also doing some backing vocals is uh, JD Souther who is like a very well-known Eagles songwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, an Eagle, what an Eagles like songwriter name to J.D. Souther. <laughs> J.D. Souther. Like, guys, you're never going to believe it. I got this line. I've been standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. Oh, man, it's genius. Sorry. On the, and, I like, and I like him. I can talk trash. <laughs> uh, then you got like the two of the biggest names in like pedal steel, Sneaky Pete Kleinow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, Buddy Amons, uh, he, funny, uh, in, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, he uh, reinvented the pedal steel. Actually, he added a couple strings to it. Weren't enough strings, in his opinion. He wanted to do gent. He wanted to do gent, like eight string. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pedal steel. <laughs> no, just kidding. He's doing like pedal steel triplets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then uh, uh, Gib, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, last name, uh, Gilbo, probably. He's from the Flying Breeder Brothers. He's he did all the fiddle playing. He's like, he's real well known as like a Cajun fiddle guy. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. John Boylan. Actually, yeah, I was going to say, sorry, I was going to jump in if you no, were going to go ahead. Me. Yeah, yeah. The producer. Uh, well, one of the big nerd nerd parts about him. Well, he's a, he plays guitar, and uh, he's on the he's on the live songs, 
um, playing on these. So that, that helps uh, manage the egos of even the, the beginning prima donnas of Don Henley and Glenn Fry and all of them. <laughs> so he's on stage with them playing guitar. So that helps. But he, uh, a couple cool things about him as a nerd, music nerd. One, he was the first person that Tom Schultz let touch the Boston recordings. Uh, Tom Schultz is like a huge nerd, like invented ways of recording. That's why Boston sounds different. The guitars sound amazing. He was an MIT student. When he got signed to make his first record, I, I was RCA or some company. They wanted him to go to a big studio and recorded it. And the producer was John Boylan. And what they did is Schultz and Boylan tricked the company into thinking Schultz was going to the studio and recording but he was really still doing it in his basement. And Boylan like helped him do that, which will forever be amazing because the first Boston record's great. And they tricked the, they tricked the uh, record company and that's freaking awesome. But later, the other dorky thing is later in his career when he left all the big names and started his own, one of the first records he did was Simpson Sing the Blues, which again, yeah. for me, we talked about American Tale as a little kid. Simpson Sing the Blues, <laughs> I think I wore that tape out. Literally. I, I had that. So, I had that. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. And, so, and yeah, after pretty that, cool. John Boylan, thumbs up for me. But then after that, he went on to produce Chipmunks Records and <laughs> the Muppets Records. Nice. And Which the, chip, the Chipmunks records have been hailed by a lot of famous musicians as better than the originals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's not the only one uh, involved in the animated thing, too, because uh, the pedal steel player, Sneaky Pete, he wrote the Gumby theme song. Mm. So <laughs> That's amazing. See, this record, oh my gosh, so much stuff on it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, 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 the accolades peaked at 163. That was it on the billboard. That's as, that's as high as it got on the billboard pop charts. Uh, it did make it to 35 on the country charts. Now, uh, yeah. Any, any closing thoughts on it? Danielle, you got, you got some stuff you'd like to say about this album? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had never listened to it. I overall did enjoy it. Um, you know, it was, uh, uh, yeah, a, a nice collection of um, sort of country rock and, you know, the Linda Ronstadt's interpretation of some old country standards. And yeah, um, I, I was glad to have been given a, <laughs> the opportunity to you know get on this with you and learn about this album because I uh se the 70s honestly like I'm not uh I don't really sit around and listen to a lot of 70s music to be honest so um you know it was it was educating for me obviously I knew who Linda Ronstadt was but not really somebody I'd ever um really listen to growing up um but yeah i can see why you know she's obviously uh you know a legend um i know she's still around but had to retire from from music for some some health reasons i did not know um, that um yeah um but 
obviously she's, she has made her mark and, you know, who knows what, what, uh, kind of like alt country or country, you know, rock would, would look like now if she wasn't part of the, the whole thing. You, you think you're going to go out there and listen to some more Linda now? Like some follow-up albums? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I know that she's, she's like dabbled in all sorts of different genres. And so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll seek something else out other than kind of like the country, country stuff. I know that she's done, uh, um, I think she did some like kind of traditional like Mexican uh, like songs, you know, because of her heritage and, um, that might be interesting to see her, her uh, hear her interpretation of, of music like that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, we like to ask our guests if they have any album or song recommendations from any genre, any era that you like to make. That what what do you listen to? What do you like right now? Me? Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're the guest. <laughs> Sorry. No the, no, the cat. I was asking the cat on your lap if the it's cat, got any recommendations. Yeah. No. Sorry, it's this non-alcoholic beer. It's just <laughs> messing with my mind. Um, <laughs> right now, uh, I, I would recommend Britney Spears because that's what I'm listening to at the gym pretty much. Just yeah. any Britney Spears. Listen yeah. to any Britney Spears. She's free now. All right. Nice. Cool. <laughs> uh, Jerry, any, any last thoughts? Uh, listen to Muscle Shoal stuff because it's all over uh, three or four of the records we've done in 72. So, my goodness. I mean, huge impact on music. And we're seeing it in this year. So ever ever seen stuff. the documentary? Well, that's what I was going to say. The documentary on Linda and the documentary on Muscle Shoals is really cool to see them collide and see all this stuff like happen and be forced to listen to the whole record, not forced, but, you know, to have a have this uh, podcast to to say, I got I got to <laughs> listen to that whole record. And man, they had a they had a big influence. It kind of makes you sad a little bit that we don't have collectives like that as much anymore or they're they're at least not um, um it's hard to put them together these days. Uh, not that they, it wasn't then, I guess. Artists will always struggle, but uh, you miss having all these big collectives like Muscle Shoals and Stacks and I and all these, all these uh, little collectives of music that, that had huge impacts on the popular music uh, culture. Yeah. So I also, you know, just I'm sorry, Linda, that this record rules. The artists all love it. I get it. You're not going to put songwriter stuff with Rescue Me with country songs and get any one big demographic to like it. Um, but more power to you for pushing through and, and having an awesome career, even though the, the record industry got you down more than once. And she got to retire on her own terms, as Danielle said. So she's got to walk out the door twice with her middle finger in the air. So hell yeah. Yeah, cool. All right, well, uh, I guess that's it. Uh, thanks for talking with me about it. And... Um, Happy 50th birthday. <laughs>